the moment they walk into my office, I can tell whether they're a smoker, the type of diet they have. I mean, in some ways you can tell how much stress they have. All of this really impacts. You can tell somebody's lifestyle by just looking at the quality of their skin. Well, hi everyone. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. Welcome again to the program, The Empowering Neurologist. We've talked about virtually every body part, body system you can imagine on this program, and then some, but we really have not focused a lot on what you look like, on your skin, on your face, et cetera, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to uh, get a leader in plastic surgery to come on the program and talk to us about how can we take care of ourselves in terms of our appearances? And Interestingly, what we learned is that the very same mechanisms that are involved in uh, brain degeneration, heart issues, et cetera, are involved in the face and involved in the skin as well. I'm getting at this new book called Younger for Life uh, by Dr. Anthony Yoon. I've known Dr. Yoon for, oh, I guess since 2016. And we wanted to bring him on the program because of this incredible book uh, that really allows us tools to to change our appearance, to remain youthful uh, in how we look. And, you know, that has a, a huge play in terms of how we feel about ourselves. Let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Yoon. Known as America's holistic plastic surgeon, Anthony Yoon, MD, is a nationally recognized board-certified plastic surgeon. He's recognized as a leader in his field and author of other best-selling books, including The Age Fix and In Stitches, as well as Playing God. His public television special, The Age Fix, with Dr. Anthony Yoon, has been viewed by millions. Dr. Yoon also hosts the popular podcast, The Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. He is the most followed plastic surgeon on social media with over 4.5 million subscribers on his YouTube channel and 8 million followers on TikTok. His new book that we're talking about today is Younger for Life, and it is a complete holistic guide to turning back the clock using the process of what he calls auto-juvenation. So let's jump right into our interview. Well, Dr. Yoon, it's so nice to connect with you again. I think uh, it might be 2016 was the last time we actually had a chance to chat. Yeah. You have a wonderful new book coming out. Thank you. Uh, Younger for Life. And uh, as we were talking before we went to, to the recording, you were mentioning how you know, this is kind of a, a kind of a functional medicine approach to cosmesis and looking good and, and preserving skin. So uh, why you and not other people? What is it that attracted you to this, you know, understanding this approach as opposed to just kind of mainstream plastic surgery? Yeah, well, many years ago, uh, after my book, The Age Fix came out, which was when we had chatted back in 2016, I thought that I'd hit the pinnacle of success. I, you know, in plastic surgery, and as you know, in medicine and surgery, especially surgeons, we look at the bigger the operation, the more accomplished you are, or the more you operate, the more accomplished you are. In a lot of ways, we look at it as the goal as a surgeon was always to bring people to the operating room. And so I found myself hitting what I thought was the peak of my practice, where I had people flying in all across the country to have faceless with me, you know, and general surgery, the big operation that you long to do when you're a resident is the Whipple. And in plastic Whipple, surgery, sure. it's the facelift because, you know, other you know, people will trust almost anybody maybe to do their liposuction, but to do their facelift, they are going to be very, very choosy. 
And so I thought I'd hit the pinnacle of success. And I had patients flying in from all around the country to have faceless with me. And I had one patient that completely changed how I look at medicine. I did a facelift on a woman. She was in her mid sixties and the surgery went perfectly. We kept her overnight in the hospital just for routine monitoring. And then she went home on a Friday. Uh, I came back to the office on the following Monday and I had a message on my desk and it was from her daughter. And she asked me, Dr. Yoon, why did my mom die? She died over the weekend, several days, just a few days after I did a facelift on her. And it, I mean, I got this message, I was actually on the phone and she asked me on the phone and I just was speechless because I'd never, ever had anything like that happen before. Uh, and so like any good physician, I look back and I said, is there anything I could have done to prevent this? You know, was it a medication error? Was it, you know, did she have some underlying illness? We had her uh, actually cleared by a cardiologist. Everything really checked out and really it came down to is she ended up having a heart attack a couple of days after surgery, after she had a completely negative stress test and cleared by a cardiologist. The only thing I could have done to prevent her from dying would have been not to operate on her. And so this sent me into a tailspin as understandably any physician it would. And for many, many months, I questioned, am I doing the right thing for my patients? Am I in the wrong field? Should I quit medicine altogether? And it really came down to reassessing the goal that I had for my patients. And it, was, it went from being the goal of the surgeon being to bring people to the operating room to the exact opposite. And I realized that the goal should be to keep people out of the operating room. And so I basically focused the rest of my time for years in how do I then um, change the focus of my practice to trying to figure out how to, get, how to get people happy with how they look and how they feel about their appearance uh, with using actual plastic surgery as an absolute last resort. Interesting. You know, I, I, I turn the tables on you because I'm asked that question all the time. You know, what, what was the moment or what made you change? And, you know, why did I really sort of abandon wanting to uh, think about treating people with things like Alzheimer's versus how to keep them healthy yeah. in the first place? So uh, a very similar. So you then uh, began exploring uh, other ideas about uh, what makes the skin age uh, and, uh, you know, began, I think, to look at lifestyle issues, which, I, to be fair, uh, is certainly unusual in my field. And I would say in, in plastic surgery, pretty darn uh, unusual as well. Why would, you know, why'd you be looking at lifestyle and, but you made some really important discoveries. I mean, many of the things that you talk about in your book, we've talked about on this podcast in the context of heart disease, of diabetes, of Alzheimer's. And you know, there's a lot of similarities between what goes on in the skin and a person's appearance and the very same mechanism. So why don't we first look at, uh, at the beginning of the book, you talk about five accelerants mm -hmm. or uh, issues that seem to re be re related to increased rates of skin aging. So let's go through those if we can. Sure. So the first one is going to be nutrient depletion. And this is something that you have talked a lot about on your podcast, you've written about in your books. And, uh, and this is something where essentially the food that we eat is not as nutritious as it used to be. Uh, and we know that there was a study actually that looked between 1950 to 1999, and they actually looked at the nutrient densities of the produce that we were eating. And they found that there was a reduction in six of these pretty much every year. And this ended literally 23 years ago. And of these six nutrients that we were deficient in or that has 
that, that our produce has reduced in its amount of nutrients includes protein, it includes iron and vitamin C. And so nutrient depletion, one of the big causes of the aging of our skin. Uh, number two is degradation of collagen. Now our skin is composed of 70 to 80% collagen. And that's what makes our skin feel tight and strong. You know, when we're younger and we've got tight skin, that's because the collagen of our skin is nice and healthy and it's youthful. But we know that after the age of about 25, we, we lose about 1% of the thickness of our collagen every year. And in women after menopause, it, it increases to about 2% of the thickness of our skin. And that's one reason why when you see older people, especially you see older women and their skin is almost like tissue paper because that collagen has gotten so thin with age. And so replenishing that collagen is a huge, huge part of kind of this whole anti-aging uh, of the skin that I'm uh, recommending in uh, Younger for Life. The third thing is oxidation and free radicals, which is something that your audience knows a lot about. Uh, the fourth thing is inflammation and not acute inflammation, which can be a very good thing for our bodies. You know, acute inflammation being, let's say you get a cut and your body reacts to it by creating inflammation. That's a healthy response. Even a lot of the treatments that we do in our offices, laser treatments, chemical peels, even using certain tr skin treatments like retinoid creams can create a nice acute inflammatory response that can actually be anti-aging for skin. But it's that chronic inflammation that can be a major problem. And that chronic inflammation, a lot of that is pushed by one of the things that you're not a fan of is excess sugar in the diet. Uh, and then the next thing is going to be a, uh, is cellular, is basically a reduction in autophagy or the buildup of cellular waste. And this is something that plastic surgeons and dermatologists really are not on the ball with and something that holistic practitioners are really uh, on the cutting edge of this. And this is something with intermittent fasting, I think that is so, so important. And one of the big parts of my book is uh, to try to get that cellular rejuvenation, that cleanup of that intracellular waste by promoting autophagy, I think is a huge part of the whole anti-aging equation. When you're looking at trying to turn back the clock uh, using your body's own natural rejuvenative abilities. And so I came up with this concept of autojuvenation, which combines all of these in a natural way to turn back the clock, to rejuvenate your body from the inside out. And as a plastic surgeon, obviously, we look at it a lot more from the outside. I know a lot of what you cover in your podcasts and your books is so much about anti-aging from the inside. Well, you you spent some time talking about collagen already, and I think we should uh, really double-click on that a bit more mm -hmm. because... Um, you know, we know that we lose collagen as we age, but what other other things are going on that leads to its degradation? Why are we losing our collagen? Well, the way I describe it to my followers is that the collagen of your skin, basically they're fibrils, okay? And it's like the logs of a log cabin. And as we get older, that collagen, those fibers start to denature. They start to fray. They start to fall apart a bit. And that can be increased by the process of glycation. Uh, glycation is when sugar molecules will actually then uh, attach to the collagen fibers of your skin. And that can cause the collagen and the elastin, which is also a huge component of the skin, uh, to become kinked, to become irregular. And to like those logs in the log cabin, it's like those logs start to fall apart. Uh, and so a lot of these treatments that we're looking at, let's say if we're doing a chemical peel or a laser treatment in the office, then tries to take that collagen, it creates that acute inflammation. And when the collagen then heals together, it, those logs become basically tighter in that log cabin again. Now you can do this also 
uh, by internal mechanisms too. And so really for me, the way I look at it is ideally you look at an inside outside approach. And so by in, in, in how you do it from the inside approach is going to be to increase the amount of protein in your diet because collagen is a protein. It's a large protein uh, and also taking collagen supplements. Uh, and that can be very controversial in the traditional medical field. And I'll talk a lot about that if you'd like. Uh, and then bone broth is a great source of collagen as well. So for me, the way I look at it is a true kind of inside outside approach. Uh, and both of them, I think if you really want to combine it and get younger looking skin and younger skin from the inside out, then that's the way I recommend. So to be sure, the, the collagen that we're talking about <clears throat> serves as a scaffolding, really giving our skin support. And <clears throat> you mentioned uh, glycosylation. Uh, it sounds pretty technical, but it really is, as you mentioned, the binding of sugar to the protein, in this case, collagen, that renders it uh, less effective or less uh, functional. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that may sound like a really technical term, but again, for our viewers, I will remind you that there is a glyc glycated protein that we're all familiar with. It's called A1C. You know, everybody talks about getting your A1C checked because you're, you're monitoring your diabetes. That's sugar bound to a protein, in this case, hemoglobin. And so that's what happens. Sugar binds to proteins and changes them. So, so I think what you're saying then is that it really serves us in terms of wanting our skin to be healthy and youthful, that we keep our blood sugar under control. Oh, exactly. You know, sugar really is the great ager of our skin. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it's eating fat. That's what's bad for my skin. Like, no, actually, sugar can age the skin via that process of glycation, just like you said, where those, that sugar can bond to the collagen uh, proteins and can deform them, cause them to be not as essentially youthful as they used to be. They don't function as well. But the second thing is inflammation, you know, that being also a huge part of aging, chronic inflammation. So you get those chronic sugar spikes from there, you get chronic insulin spikes. Uh, and then having high levels of insulin has also been associated with uh, certain types of issues. You can have higher levels of testosterone, you can get potential issues with acne. And so sugar really, uh, and that doesn't even take in the microbiome part of it and how sugar can also uh, cause the uh, uh, not really production, but I suppose the encouraging of the uh, bad bacteria in your gut. Uh, and so the actual microbiome becoming less healthy. And there are uh, definite connections ha that have been made in our scientific literature uh, between the gut health and the skin health. And so it used to be only they talk about the gut brain axis, which I know you're a, a huge person that has gotten this out to the masses. But there also is a gut-skin axis that is so important uh, that I think a lot of people don't realize. Well, let's segue then to the skin microbiome, to the fact that our skin is deeply colonized by a, a, a rich array of organisms. And what sort of attention is paid to that in terms of the things that we're putting on our skin, how we wash our faces, et cetera? What, what's the consideration there? You know, there's very little talk about this skin microbiome in the dermatology and definitely not in the plastic surgery community. You know, if you talk to plastic surgeons and say, hey, what do you think about the skin microbiome and its effects on aging and the health of the skin, you would probably be met with a lot of blank stares. Um, but, you know, I actually credit skincare companies. There are skincare companies now that are following uh, functional medicine and holistic medicine physicians, and they're creating probiotic rich skincare. So just like you have the microbiome, uh, in your gut, there is a microbiome on the skin that we know 
uh, does have significant impacts on the health of the skin, but we're just learning how far reaching those impacts are. Um, we do know that some of the practices that we used to recommend back in the 90s and early 2000s, where you would actually strip the skin of its microbiome by really aggressive skincare, we're finding now that that is actually harmful to the skin. And so it used to be people would use all these astringents, uh, which are toners in our skincare that are alcohol-based because you wipe your face, you know, so initially people would cleanse and then you use this uh, astringent-based, alcohol-based toner, you apply that onto your skin and it does make your skin feel nice and clean afterwards. And people like that feeling and they think that, oh, because it feels clean, just like if you take an alcohol swab and you wipe your skin, it feels clean. Uh, they think that that's actually then healthy for your skin. The interesting thing is that people would do this for acne and for oily skin. And they say, hey, we'll get rid of that oil by using these alcohol-based astringents. And what they would find afterwards is that it would actually cause the skin to secrete more oil as a reaction to it. And so acne would actually get worse. And on top of that, now we're learning that you are now stripping the skin because of the alcohol. You're killing off that healthy microbiome, that, that those bacteria that are living on the surface of the skin. And you're not only creating potential oil issues, but you're creating issues with the overall health of the skin as well. <clears throat> Back in my day, there was something called Stridex medicated pads. Oh, yeah. And I had them in my locker in high school because, you know, of the risk of getting acne, which I probably had. And I remember, you know, the, the more I could theoretically sterilize my skin, the better yeah. I thought I was doing. But yeah. let's go back to collagen for just a moment, because um, there are things that we can do ostensibly. I mean, you talk about bone broth. Uh, and I think the, the notion that many people have is that to have enough amino acids for building collagen, you've got to be eating a lot of meat. But you actually talk about the fact that we can be supportive of, co of collagen via various vegetables that we can consume. So how do you, how do you challenge the dogma? Well, I think that for me, the way I look at a plant-based diet, you know, is, is that people are doing plant-based diet. That's more of a lifestyle than necessarily a diet specifically. And I admire people who are on that lifestyle because I know that they're doing it for ethical reasons. Uh, that being said, yes, you know, in order to support the collagen of your skin, you do need sufficient protein. How much protein obviously depends on your health, on your size, uh, but trying to get 100 grams of protein a day would be ideal. The interesting thing, though, you know, with collagen is that there are studies that show that actually taking a collagen supplement can really help benefit the collagen of your skin as well. You know, there's this big controversy regarding collagen supplements and do they truly improve the skin? Can you get those benefits just by increasing the amount of protein that you eat in the diet? Well, I don't know of any studies that have been performed that have actually just increased protein in the diet and, and checked as far as wrinkles, skin hydration, um, elasticity. But there are a lot of studies that have actually looked at collagen supplements and taking supplements. Like, for example, there was a, a meta-analysis uh, published in 2021 uh, that looked at taking 90 days of a hydrolyzed collagen supplement and found a statistically significant improvement in wrinkles, hydration, and elasticity of the skin uh, in, of those studies that, that were looked at in this meta-analysis. There have been uh, placebo-controlled clinical trials that have found very similar things. And they've even actually taken biopsies of the skin after people have been on collagen supplements for a couple of months, usually two months, and have found a, an increase in the thickness of the collagen afterwards. Uh, and, and what I tell people really with trying to improve the collagen of the skin, number one, you always want to start with the food. You know, you cannot supplement yourself 
out of a poor diet. Uh, that being said, we also know, once again, we talked about nutrient depletion. Uh, and so I do believe that supplements can help. And when you're specifically looking at skin and wrinkles of the skin, hydration, elasticity, and all that, uh, taking a collagen supplement, I think, can be very, very helpful. Well, hi, everyone. Dr. David Promoter here. Uh, we hope you're enjoying this content. And if you would do so, go ahead and hit the like button. And if you're not already a subscriber to our channel, please consider doing so. Uh, we're really grateful to have you as part of our community. So let's get right back to the presentation. So when you, when you go to buy a collagen supplement, there are various forms of collagen. What yes. is best for the skin? So number one thing you want to look for is a hydrolyzed collagen supplement that are ideally hydrolyzed collagen peptides. So collagen is a large protein. And in order for it to be absorbed efficiently, it needs to be broken down into smaller proteins, uh, amino acids, and peptides. And so the good thing with hydrolyzed collagen supplements is they have actually, the protein has been broken down into these single amino acids and peptides so that you can fully absorb it better. So that's what I would look for ideally uh, when you're looking for collagen supplements. Uh, unfortunately, there isn't, uh, for the plant-based uh, people, there isn't a true uh, plant-based collagen alternative. There are collagen quote-unquote supplements for people who are plant-based, but they're not really so much collagen as they're protein. And they um, hope or claim that by taking those that eventually that will help with the collagen of your skin. But uh, I don't know of any scientific studies that have looked at those and, and found those to be effective. You had mentioned uh, supplements and we talked about uh, free radicals uh, that damage the skin. Uh, I mean, I guess before I get to the, where I was going with this, how does that relate to sun exposure and what should we be doing? Yeah, so sun exposure will create damage to the DNA of our skin. And that also, you know, I did have somebody ask like, well, what about, you know, sun damage? Where is that with the aging of the skin? And that truly can create inflammation. Uh, it can create free radical issues, but mainly what it can do is it can damage the actual DNA structure. Um, there is a um, controversy in holistic medicine about sunscreen. You know, should you get sunscreen? I mean, so many people are deficient in vitamin D. Uh, we do find that so many people get such a mental and psychological boost from being in the sun, having your, you know, having sun on your skin, especially first thing in the morning. So as a plastic surgeon and as a holistic leaning doctor, what do you recommend? Well, dermatologists will tell you to put sunscreen on your skin every day, whether you're, whether it's sun, sunny or cloudy and whether you're sitting in a basement all day, you should still apply. <laughs> I am one for moderation in general. You know, I think that there's a good in between, you know, there are people in our holistic space who feel that sunscreen is toxic and you shouldn't use it at all. Um, you know, I have seen a lot of patients who've come into my office with skin cancers on their face and there is nothing more disfiguring than having a skin cancer lesion on your face, getting most surgery. And, and some of the defects are just absolutely horrifying. You know, I've seen patients say, Hey, I just had this tiny little thing on my nose. It's a little spot. And yeah, then I see them a couple of weeks later and literally half their nostril is gone uh, because that, that skin cancer had infiltrated so deeply. So what I recommend in general, you know, we do know that, that sun does that, that sun exposure does create uh, the UV radiation does create DNA changes in the skin that can lead to skin cancer. Ideally use a sunscreen every day when you're out in the sun, SPF at least 30. But at the same time, I also understand the psychological benefits of getting sun. And I, you know, for me, do I wear sunscreen every day? Not necessarily. Uh, if I'm out, if I'm on vacation, I'm going out to a beach, if I'm going to be outside a lot, definitely. But I also encourage people that there is a difference between sunscreen and sunblock. 
And so there are certain ingredients in sunscreen that I discourage people from using. Uh, octinoxate and oxybenzone are two that are considered potential hormone disruptors. Uh, they are in a lot of our sunscreen nowadays. So I would try to avoid those if you can. And for your children, try going with the mineral-based sunscreens that contain zinc oxide and titanium dioxide because those will just sit on the surface of your skin. Right. A lot of people don't like them because they can create this kind of whitish hue to the skin. Uh, but encouraging you with the kids, our kids don't need these chemicals. Uh, so go with the sunblock, zinc oxide, or titanium dioxide for them especially. What, what are the two chemicals, again, that you want us to avoid? Oxybenzone and octanoxate. So there are some studies that do show that they may uh, be hormone-disrupting agents. Uh, we also know that they may also disrupt the coral reefs. So if you go to Hawaii, you go to the Caribbean, a lot of them will actually not allow you to wear oxybenzone or octanoxate-based sunscreens. Mm. Uh, I've been very successful wearing a buff. And, <laughs> That's good uh, too. <laughs> I know. I mean, it, uh, you know, I know it, it looks a little bit strange. I think post-COVID it's not looking as strange, but because, uh, you know, I, I also have been somewhat concerned about absorption of certain chemicals through yeah. my skin, which happens with various types of sun uh, protective chemicals. So I, I wear the buff and I take, I take my heat, you know, people give me a hard time, but you know, they say, you're getting ready to rob a bank. No, I'm just, <laughs> cause I've been through it. I, I've had a tricarboxylic acid facial peel mm. for multiple uh, uh, precancerous lesions that yeah. were, it could not have been, you know, it was too many to freeze and I'd done the FUDEX enough times. So that was a real uh, experience. My, my entire face was burned basically with, tricarbo with tricarboxylic acid. They do give you um, a little nitrous oxide. You get to suck on the, the yeah. straw of nitrous oxide. And I remember uh, the, uh, the assistant was saying, Dr. Perlmutter, I think you need to go a little easier on the nitrous because I was, I was way <laughs> out there. Because, you know, it's, you're burning your face with acid for crying out loud. Then you have to be in the darkness, as you well know, for, was it, five to seven days. Um, more so recently, I've been using a Retin-A. Yep. And uh, what are your thoughts on the retinoids? So a couple of things. So first of all, the TCA peel you're talking about, the good thing about that is hard as it was for you to go through it, we do those all the time for a, as a cosmetic thing. That's one reason why you look so young, I bet. <laughs> that has helped. My youthful glow. <laughs> um, and, and yes, what that can do is exfoliate the upper layer of skin if you've got precancerous lesions, and that may potentially help. I'm a big fan of retinoids. Now, retinoids, some people in the... Um, Holistic community are not huge fans of it. You do want to avoid retinoids if you are pregnant or breastfeeding because we do know that they can be absorbed uh, through uh, breast milk. Um, but if you are, especially somebody like yourself, where you've had a history of precancerous lesions, number one is you do not want a, a skin cancer on your face. Like I said, I mean, the, the potential cosmetic ramifications are huge. We do know that prescription strength tretinoin, otherwise known as Retin-A, has been shown in studies to reverse early pre-skin cancers. They're not going to treat a skin cancer that you develop. So if you've got a, a melanoma or basal cell carcinoma or squamous cell, do not think Retin-A is going to treat it. However, if you have a history like you do of actinic keratoses, which are precursors to squamous cell carcinoma, then I would strongly encourage you to use a, a retinoid like prescription strength Retin-A, tretinoin, uh, because you, it may reverse early precancerous cells. The problem is you'll not know what it gets rid of because it just won't show up. 
But the added benefit, and we're talking about health of the skin and youth of the skin, is that if I were to pick one anti-aging ingredient in a cream, it would be the same product. And so ret uh, Retin-A, otherwise known as uh, Tretinoin Prescription Strength, has been shown to improve the collagen of the skin. There we go, going back to collagen. Yeah, it can great. thicken the dermis of the skin, the deeper layer of the skin, which also composed of collagen, gets thinner with age, uh, and it can smooth the skin, and once again, reverse early pre-skin cancers. For those people who don't have access to a doctor to prescribe it, because this is prescription strength, you can use retinol. Retinol is over-the-counter strength. Basically, it is um, over-the-counter and it's sold in tons of different skincare lines. Have them. I have my own skincare line, Unbeer, that has a retinol moisturizer. When you apply it on the skin, it, it is applied as retinol as an inactive ingredient, but it actually gets converted to tretinoin. It's two steps. Once you apply it on the skin, then eventually it gets converted to tretinoin. So it does the same thing. It's just not quite as strong. Well, you know, here is a place where preventive medicine is key and I think never talked about. I mean, you know, the idea of getting the messaging out that the sun is damaging your skin early in life, I think is really important. In, in my day, uh, we had what were called uh, record albums. Uh, you probably don't remember. <laughs> oh, record no, no, they, I, but you would I, open them up and I'm cover them with foil and then cover your face with baby oil and sit at the beach with a uh, with a tinfoil thing reflecting onto your face just to bake bake yourself as much as you could. And then, you know, for two years, I, I built houses in um, in the Florida Keys, and I was really mm. tough back then when I was 17 and 18 years old. No shirt, and now I'm clearly, uh, you know, paying the price for that. And I, I think the issue is it's decades later that you yeah. begin to see the manifestation. So you don't, yeah, you get a bad sunburn, it hurts the next day, whatever, but these events have long lasting um, consequences. I mean, one severe sunburn to the point that you blister is clearly associated with an increased risk of melanoma. I mean, yeah. you know, let's take it to the end game here. So we've got to be careful. And you, you spend you know, a fair amount of time in your book, gratefully, uh, talking about you know, prevention and not just from the sun, but from you know, other sources of damaging uh, issues in our, in our world like limiting the damaging effects of free radicals in general. And, you know, you, you also clearly um, make a point that inflammation makes us look bad and is bad for the skin. So uh, let's morph to the part in the book when you're talking about our food choices and how they affect this mechanism inflammation. I mean, our audience is, is keyed in on this in terms of the brain, yeah. but, but it seems like you don't want to have your skin inflamed either. Yeah, and so that's a huge thing. And once again, just like with the, the brain, the sugar that can be so, so unhealthy and insulin resistance, you know, leading to insulin resistance can be very unhealthy for the brain. We actually see a lot of the same types of impacts on your skin. Uh, and once again, going back to that whole process of glycation, going back to the insulin uh, spikes causing chronic inflammation of the skin, this I do believe is a huge age of the skin. And one thing that you can do, in addition to reducing sugar though, we do know that increasing the amount of healthy fats can be very beneficial for your skin as well. Uh, and so in the book, one of the things I really encourage are uh, pushing the omega-3 fatty acids. So you're talking about cold water fish, salmon, tuna, trout, mackerel, uh, sardines, all those are great, great uh, sources of omega-3s, which we know will actually moisturize your skin from the inside out. Uh, and then we mentioned the microbiome, oh, and then monounsaturated fatty acids in nuts, 
um, and uh, seeds. Uh, and then and the other thing would be the microbiome effects. And so the anti-inflammatory effects of a healthy microbiome are huge. And that's something too, we just don't talk about in dermatology or plastic surgery, you know, going back to the actual connection between the microbiome and the skin. And the fact that if you are feeding your microbiome uh, good prebiotics and you are encouraging the microbiome by taking probiotics or probiotic rich foods, now you're also going to decrease the amount of inflammation of the skin as well as the whole body. And that's another way that you can actually look younger from the inside out. Well, to me, the take-home message, uh, we, I, I teed up inflammation, and your immediate response was sugar. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that's really quite profound uh, because, you know, dietary sugar ultimately leads to issues with insulin and, and serum uh, blood-related sugar elevations, and that paves the way through multiple mechanisms, including glycation proteins, for inflammation. And I think, you know, you can't see when your brain's inflamed, but if your face is inflamed, you get that, you see that. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that detracts from people looking good is when their faces are red and inflamed. And you can see that, you know, I see that in people who come into my office. I can, the moment they walk into my office, I can tell whether they're a smoker, the type of diet they have. I mean, in some ways you can tell how much stress they have. All of this really impacts. And that's something, one thing we haven't even talked about is stress and how that is a huge ager of the body as well. Um, but you can tell somebody's lifestyle by just looking at the quality of their skin. Uh, a good friend of mine, she calls skin the magic mirror because it really does tell you what's going on inside your body. And the great thing is a lot of what you have uh, talked about in your podcast, in your books that can help with, with the brain, help to slow down a lot of those kind of uh, slowing down processes that occur with your brain as you get older and reduce the risk of dementia. All of those are the same types of things that you can do to improve exactly. your skin as well. And I think that, you know, everything is intertwined. Part of it is I think so much of our body is composed of collagen, you know, from our blood vessels to our skin uh, that, and, and our joints and our muscles, you know, that everything does intertwine together. Um, what I try to do in the book is take a lot of the recommendations that, you know, forward leaning physicians like yourself make. Uh, and then show you how that relates to the skin and what you can do from a traditional dermatologic plastic surgery perspective with the treatments on the surface of the skin as well. So it's truly going from that inside out. The good thing now is holistic medicine is getting into now some of these uh, treatments like red light therapy that can really potentially help with the aging of the skin. Uh, and now traditional plastic surgery dermatology is starting to go in that direction as well. And they're realizing that, hey, there is an overlap here that we can work together. And, and, and that's really what I wanted this book to be. Well, I've always been taken by the term heart smart diet, as if there's a unique diet that's good for the heart, which might be very different than you'd, what you'd want to eat for your uh, skin or your brain. And the bottom line is that the mechanisms of degradation are the same throughout the body. Uh, they are inflammation and, you, as you've mentioned, free radical mediated stress, loss of or downregulation of autophagy, which uh, segues to the section in your book where you actually talk about autophagy mm -hmm. and how we can eat to enhance this process. Again, autocellphagy eating, where we are actually able to uh, break down defective cellular components and allow new cellular components to take their place. So how do we enhance autophagy based on the foods we eat or how we eat our food? 
So there's two things that I would look at. And one of the things I do, you know, my audience is very different than yours. Your audience has read your books. They know really kind of the uh, basics of healthy eating. Um, you know, for me, I've got a lot of people who follow me on social media. And these are people who, for them, you know, going from three cans of soda to two in a day is a big deal. And I try to encourage people to make those baby steps that, that they can to help improve the quality of their life and their health and their skin. They're also not used to fasting. You know, if you bring up fasting to a lot of my followers, it's going to be a very like, what are you talking about? Um, and even the whole concept of, of autophagy is very new to them. And so really it comes down to is autophagy is that process, like you mentioned, that means self-eating or essentially intracellular um, renewal or recycling, where you're taking those uh, used up and old cellular, intracellular components, those proteins, those organelles, and you're essentially recycling them for energy. But in order to do that, you have to stop eating for a period of time. And so we do know that insulin will stimulate uh, or will halt autophagy in its tracks. We know glucagon will stimulate it. And so taking time off of eating can help with, can basically get that cellular rejuvenation process going. And one of the things that I put in the book that I found really interesting as I was doing my research, and we did test it on people as well, is can you, uh, you know, people will intermittent fast. And if you intermittent fast, ideally for a good 16 hours, you can stimulate that autophagy process and clean up those cells so that they function more, uh, more effectively, more efficiently, and more youthfully. But can you then take that and prolong it while still eating? Well, we know that there are certain foods that will stop autophagy in its tracks, okay? That's carbs and excessive amounts of protein. But we also know that healthy fats can actually promote autophagy. And so the thing in my book that I tried to do is we tested people where they would intermittent fast 16 hours. So they go 8 p.m. to noon the next day. And instead of going back to what I consider a collagen supporting diet, high protein, um, you know, a moderate amount of carbs, uh, higher amounts of healthy fats, we put them on essentially what is more of a ketogenic type of a diet where we had higher fats, lower proteins, um, made sure that those fats were healthy fats. So once again, omega-3 fatty acid rich fats, uh, monounsaturated acid, uh, or monounsaturated fat, uh, full foods. Uh, and then we also added the polyphenol rich foods because we know that polyphenols also can help stimulate autophagy. So now you're talking about those dark colored produce. Okay. So like blackberries, plums, strawberries, raspberries, uh, black beans. Uh, and the idea then is, can you then, although you're breaking your fast, can you continue that process of autophagy even longer? And what we found after 21 days where we would test people and we combined uh, diet, uh, what to eat, when to eat, nutritional supplements, and skincare. And after 21 days, we had some pretty nice changes in people's skin. Uh, and they had people who would come up to them that didn't know they were trying anything new and say, wow, your skin looks great. What are you doing? Literally in just 21 days. So it's really exciting. I have to say, I, this is a great interview because I, I didn't, you know, I hadn't really thought that, um, you know, made this connection uh, to the skin I, and, you know, uh, mea culpa a bit that <laughs> it's the same stuff we've been talking about. Those same aging factors are, are there for all to see on your skin, on your face. So uh, it's, it's very true. I mean, you know, you say a patient would walk in, you know, if they're a smoker, you know, if they're stressed, et cetera, as can I. And, you know, especially as it relates to uh, dietary choices, um, 
And I, I have to admit that those individuals who are clearly not eating right, who are having cognitive issues, oftentimes it's quite evident in terms mm -hmm. of their quality, their skin quality. So, uh, you know, it, it's a very holistic way of looking at it. And the so, crazy, and the crazy thing right. is, is, you know, I'm sorry to butt in, but the crazy thing is, is that, you know, you have, you know, the goal for you is to change people's lifestyle. And sometimes it's really, really hard as a physician to say, Hey, you know what? To improve your heart health, you should do this. To improve your brain health, you should do this. But then if you say, hey, to get rid of those wrinkles, to look younger, you should do this. It's crazy how some people are so motivated by their appearance, whereas they may not be motivated by brain fog or by, you know, heart health or lung health, you know. But geez, if they're going to look older five years from now, especially if they're gonna look older than their friends, then they will make those changes. And so the goal for me is, hey, if I can reach those people, especially in middle America, you know, I've got so many people on social media that follow me because of the funny stuff I put out there. But if I could just every once in a while throw in some of these little nuggets for them, if they just take that one can of soda pop and switch it for green tea every day and try to encourage them, that's a big deal. You know, if you can just quit smoking or quit vaping, that's a huge deal. Uh, and so trying to make these small little steps and gosh forbid, they could bring a little intermittent fasting into it and start using the right products and supplements. And, and here you go. Now, you next thing you know, that their brain health is better and their heart's better as well. Yeah. What's good for one system is good, is good for all, et cetera. So correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you say in the book somewhere <clears throat> that people who use a lot of facial expressions tend to get more wrinkles? Did I read that right? Yes. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> and that's the whole idea of Botox. You know, there's yeah, certain guess, muscles guess. of our face that are called dynamic wrinkles, and they're caused by actual muscles. And the more you flex those muscles, the more those wrinkles can get actually inset in. And the idea of Botox is that, as you know, it's a neurotoxin. It, it prevents the transmission of nerve impulses to those muscles. Those muscles are not creating those wrinkles. Those wrinkles smooth out. The muscles can even atrophy, they can get smaller, and now you find that those wrinkles never really come back like they did before. Well, what about fillers? That seems to be, uh, you know, there, there are parties now where people go and get fillers injected. How, how safe are they? How effective? What should we know? So with fillers, it's a whole other deal. The way I describe fillers, it's basically like liquid skin. Uh, the original filler was collagen. We talked a lot about collagen already, um, but people would get collagen injected into their lips uh, famously, Barbara Hershey during the movie Beaches uh, was rumored to have had collagen injected back long ago. Now our fillers are made of hyaluronic acid, and this is a naturally occurring moisturizer of the skin. We use hyaluronic acid now because it lasts longer and you don't have to do skin testing for it. The issue with fillers is twofold. The first thing is people get overdone. You know, I, I published a seminal work in plastic surgery called the volumetric facelift, and it was the idea that the face ages in three dimensions not just two, and that adding volume can actually help rejuvenate the face. Um, but people have taken that, and like anything in plastic surgery, have taken that to the extreme, and you get these overfilled pillow faces that you see now in Hollywood. The big, the, but the big issue, just, that's just cosmetic, but the big issue with health with fillers is intravascular occlusion. And mm. fillers, if they're injected into blood vessels accidentally, they can cause major problems like tissue ischemia and necrosis where essentially all parts of the body are supplied, blood supplied by various arteries. And if that artery gets clogged, then that part of the body that won't get enough blood supply and literally it can turn black and it can die. Uh, and that has happened. People have lost parts of their nose, parts of the lip. People have even gone blind from injections of filler. 
So if you're considering filler injections, you really want to know the risks. Make sure you have it done by a board-certified dermatologist or plastic surgeon or one of their expert injectors in a very safe setting. And always, always use an HA filler. There are other fillers out there like silicone and stuff. At least hyaluronic acid can be reversed using an agent called hyaluronidase. The other fillers cannot. Well, you know, the book is Younger for Life. And, uh, I, you know, in, in reading the book, uh, it, it was, as I expected, talking about lifestyle choices, all these mechanisms that we've already talked about today. But you cover things like fillers and procedures in the book as well, which I thought was really important, really handy, because that's what people are doing. Yeah. And, you know, people, uh, I think to put it out there for discussion, I thought was really valuable. Yeah, thank you. I think, you know, for me, what I want to do is there's nothing about surgery in there, but it really is all about what you can do short of surgery to turn back the clock, but really starting with the principles. And the way I describe it, it's like you're building a house, you know, and the fillers and the injections, that's like the attic of the house. So you want to start with the foundation and the foundation is a good diet. Uh, the first level is going to be supplements and skincare. And when you get to those treatments, now you're way up at the top. There's so much that you can do short of going to a dermatologist or plastic surgeon to help your skin look better. And the great thing is you found listening to this podcast today is those things that are going to make your skin look better will make your health overall better as well. Preserve your brain. Dr. Yoon, thanks for being with us today. This is terrific information. And congrats on this, uh, your latest book, Younger for Life. Um, I'm very happy that I got the advanced copy, so I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of the game. But thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Doc. Much really appreciate you having me on. Well, I say thank you to Dr. Yoon for his time uh, sharing this really interesting information with us. And, you know, it turns out that there are so many similarities with a lot of what we've been talking about, that these fundamental mechanisms like inflammation, free radical media distress, brought on by things, for example, like having a lot of sugar in the diet, not enough anti-inflammatory foods like omega-3s, et cetera, things we've talked about have a huge role to play in keeping the skin healthy and looking good. And I hope that's important for all of you uh, and that you got good information on the program today. Thanks, as always, for joining us. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.